Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience of field, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast. We are continuing our wild turkey research series. We are talking about a research project that spans across four states, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska, looking at Rio Grande turkeys and the effect of diseases and parasites on their overall health and populations. We'll get right into that in 90 seconds. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. So we'll just start off the interview by you just telling me a little bit about your background as a researcher and maybe what sparked your interest in the health and conservation of the Rio Grande wild turkeys. My interest in wild turkeys uh, was it was early and often, and I, I studied eastern wild turkeys for my master's degree at LSU. Um, NWTF is no um, stranger, Dr. Michael Chamberlain. He was my advisor there, and. And that was in 2004, five, six ish. Um, it's been a few years. And uh, with, with with Mike, I, I studied um, harvest um, uh, harvest impacts and and some habitat selection of, of eastern wild turkeys in in bottomland hardwood forest in central Louisiana. And when I when I graduated, I moved to Texas Tech uh, to get my PhD. Studied lesser prairie chicken, so. I had an interest in upland game birds and ground nesting birds in general, and I, I graduated from tech in 2012, uh, accepted a, a postdoc that ultimately turned into a faculty position at tech that I currently have in 2013. Um, between 2013 and about 2017, most of my research um, program I, I was building, and it was on lesser prairie chickens, sandhill cranes, uh, and I've had a few other projects on waterfowl deer and um, scale quail and quite a few other things. But 
I, I was interested in getting back into turkey work um, because it was good timing uh, from a research component, our perspective, as well as um, with my own career. And I was uh, co-teaching a class called Wildlife Techniques at, at, at the Texas Tech Center of Junction with my colleague Warren Conway, who has also studied wild turkeys his his entire career. And it was simply to, to do boneheads getting together, trying to decide what we could do to maximize um, opportunities for our students hands-on. And in, we are happen we happen to be on the South Lino River, which historically hosts gigantic. Uh, roost and supports a uh, large um, uh, population of Rio Grande wild turkeys in Texas. In fact, it's one of the few uh, remaining that isn't showing any long-term declines. And we had a private landowner nearby who allowed us uh, to teach the students how to rock a net and trap turkeys and do those things. And actually that class led up to the first National Wild Turkey Federation grant uh, our, our, our team received last year that's ongoing with Rio Grande wild turkeys and um, habitat. Yeah. And concomitantly, we, um, the research team and myself, that would be Dr. Andrew Gregory, Dr. Dustin Edwards, um, for the for the original proposal, um, and Dr. Stephen Webb at AM put in another proposal for Eastern Mount Turkey Research at Gene Howe WMA, funded through Parks and Wildlife, and we received that this April. And then this proposal um, was. Uh, the individuals who are uh, listed on uh, our, our proposal sheet, they're all, we're a pretty close-knit group. Collaborators, I think there's something like eight universities and 20 people and whatnot. Most of uh, our nine long-term collaborators on lesser bread chickens are quail. And uh, what got us interested in doing this project was the current ongoing efforts on Rio Grande's uh, Rio Grande wild turkeys, ranging from you know the Rio Grande Valley in, in Texas all the way up into Nebraska with Andy Little and his team, and I just happened to know those folks. And um, when we were deciding as a team where would best to maximize our dollars and partner support um, and leverage those dollars for maximum um, output and productivity for the benefit of turkeys. Uh, we were looking at the interests listed on the NWTF webpage for the scientific proposals, and we were looking for uh, topics that were relevant um, for for our studies, but also where we could contribute uh, vast amounts of data uh, for the benefit of turkeys. And what happened with the disease component was it was listed on the website. Um, my collaborators are uh, are the experts in, in in the disease component. I do more habitat and population demography stuff. But the 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 real driver for us doing this assessment now was it was kind of a once in a five or ten year opportunity to leverage the spatial scope, the money, and the personnel to be able to collect these data through Rio Grande's from across their distribution. And what it resulted in was all of these persons leveraging these others and a big proposal with lots of people. But what we will have hopefully at the end is a better understanding of disease, macroparasites, and, and general health um, across the entire distribution, uh, not just in one local place so we can compare and contrast, um, see if there's any similarities among the data sets or or, or whatnot to really help us tease apart um, um, the, the health component at the distribution level 
um, in, in, in one, in one shot, so to speak. So that was the real driver of this. Uh, great. And I just want to give you like a kind of idea of why we're doing this. So okay. we, there's, I think 10 total research projects and each week we're going to be doing an article over them. And then okay. what we're doing this interview for is I'll send this to our video guy and he's going to be doing a video to accompany it, accompany okay. it. And so okay. the audio will be for that. So, okay, great. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're just going to deep dive into your project a little bit. So okay. starting off, can you provide me like just a overview of the project, explaining like the objectives and the goals, the main goals for it? And given this is going to be edited, I'm going to go ahead and pull up the proposal so I don't misspeak. No, um, yeah, you're real good. quick. I'd like to say I have it memorized, but that is false. <laughs> Well, I got my notes in front of me too, so <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I should have been better prepared. We've been capturing Sandhill crane colts in Oregon all week, and I just got to the hotel. I told you that I've been sleeping in a tent for nine days, and um, my brain track. So uh, the goal, um, uh, let me restart that. The goal of of this proposed study that that, that was funded by NTB, uh, NWTF uh, was to conduct a range wide comprehensive health assessment for Rio Grande wild turkeys. And, and within our, our goal, we had you know, five uh, objectives that we wanted to reach or at least uh, attempt to answer to allow us to say, hey, we, we met or did not meet our goal. And objective one was to establish and standardize methods for collecting samples in the field. And that's actually an important component that I skipped over when when, when I was describing the major drivers and, and the impetus for this study. Uh, we standardized research protocols for lesser prairie chickens about 12 years ago. And what that has resulted in 10, year, uh, 10 years or so uh, along the lines from research is uh, better information um, from the entire range. And the objectives, that objective is was, is mirroring uh, the, the, the thought with that species because it was the same people on this proposal as the other uh, was to standardize it. So uh, we can make comparisons, which is uh, not common in our field, but something we're working towards. And I think this is a, a substantial step moving forward, um, especially for wild turkeys, but also for um, wildlife research. The, the second objective was to, is to conduct a Parasological uh, and infectious survey of Rio Grande wild turkeys in um, in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Nebraska, among the ongoing studies at Texas Tech, uh, University of North Texas, Texas A and M, Tarleton State, Oklahoma State University, Kansas State University, uh, University of Nebraska, and and this project brings in um, Texas A and M Kingsville to this research. Uh, Step three is uh, uh, conduct complete blood counts and blood chemistry panels. That's not necessarily a disease component, but it will provide some some baseline baseline health uh, information to us. And these uh, two tests, complete blood counts and blood chemistry panels, are two common tests even even for 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 humans. And and the complete blood counts will give us an, an understanding of um, things like. Uh, White blood counts, red uh, red blood count, uh, red blood cell counts, platelets, and uh, and other um, uh, important information pertaining to uh, infections and 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 other things with CBCs. Uh, the blood chemistry panel it will be similar to tests for humans, where we test for different um, markers from different organs, like liver, kidney. Uh, 
and of heart and whatnot to basically give us an, an understanding of not are they the question isn't are they infected is but are these within normal range expected for the subspecies within this family and it, it really hasn't been done at this this level so we're excited to do these across the entire distribution uh, step four is collect feathers and other tissues for ongoing genetic re, uh, testing and, and and these data uh, are we're we're we included this objective because we're leveraging um this project among others where we will be collecting feathers and other tissues for ongoing genetic testing but what will be the added component that that the national wild turkey federation is funding is we were now going to do this at the distribution level so we can make similar comparisons for some fine scale um genetic tests which i i'm not the the expert there but it's pretty exciting when, when you think about we can assess um uh, relatedness and other um, important components across the distribution. And, and, and lastly, the, the fifth objective is it, this money, this, uh, none of this counts at all unless we provide some recommendations based on what we find. So we always include these in our objectives to uh, inform our partners, our stakeholders, and, and, and members, and turkey hunters, uh, what this means. And what are the recommendations at the distribution level for Rio Grande wild turkeys and what would be the next steps given our findings but those recommendations uh, obviously are currently to be determined so to speak. so would you say i guess what, what i'm getting is that the disease component is kind of the key thing you guys are focusing on for this research it, okay so the disease and macro parasite Especially okay, LPD, yes, REV, and then the whole suite of macro parasites. Um, LPDV and REV are important, but we're also assessing West Nile, malaria, uh, and there's a comprehensive list in the proposal, but those are the ones we're targeted the most. Um, and then we'll try to get these data for all the birds that we capture, but the, the disease component is the major assessment here so it, um we're, we're looking at those that i mentioned as well as um avian influenza and within bacteria some some diseases they cause uh, such salmonella um, um and uh passerella those are pretty common but you're, you're spot on with that assessment that the disease component is going to be the major focus for this okay and so i was going to ask what are the like key disease threats? Are those just all the ones you just explained that you're? Those are the at? ones I just explained. So the major, the major ones that we are really interested in um, are um, LP uh, uh, LPDV, which is lymphoproliferative disease virus, which is turkeypox, uh, reticular endotheliosis, uh, avian malaria, avian influenza, and West Nile virus. Okay. And so could you explain like the significance of the information and data you're going to collect through this study and how that's going to benefit the um, management of the wild turkeys? Yeah. So so disease is can be uh, sorted into density dependent and density independent type diseases. And with wild turkeys, given their gregarious and their social structures, unique and also it varies throughout time, um, density population size um, are more than likely 
uh, to have population level impacts. A good example of that would be West Nile virus. There was a study um, approximately 2008 that, that demonstrated a, a almost a 20% reduction in greater sage grouse populations due to West Nile virus. And we, we've monitored it and others in upland game birds for years um, with the assumption that diseases can uh, regulate a population, uh, uh, meaning it can slow down growth or increase declines. But it's exceptionally hard to assess if diseases or those things are limiting the population. And if they have West Nile, there's no growth, so to speak. And what we're trying to do here, given the distribution level uh, assessment, is one, collect the disease data, but two, over time, combine it with all of the other results that's that, that disseminates from the research funding from the partners that it's mentioned in the in the video and whatnot to assess uh, population level impacts for Rio Grande wild turkeys. And the real goal here is to provide information to our regulatory agencies, um, especially among areas that show more rapid declines or um, stable populations to basically uh, reject or fail to reject um, is disease a limiting factor because what we want to to really focus on in the long term um, is healthy populations of all wild turkey subspecies in the United States for to maintain harvestable numbers. Um, in in this particular situation, where the goal is to reject or fail reject. And for Rio Grande wild turkeys, which are showing different population trends in different areas, we're targeting those areas, combining these data with the goal of um, hopefully uh, eliminating this as a possible um, population influencer or assessing as it is, if it is, um, with a long term goal of no matter what we find of uh, ensuring sustainable harvest numbers, um, populations exist. And you touched on this just a little bit in that, but so what would you say maybe the broader implications are for the research to not just the Rio Grande species, but all the wild turkey species? Okay, so there's a lot. And I think the uh, the the one thing that's understated, but it's important is standardizing methodologies. Um, this is, uh, we, we did a literature review on, um, you know, Galliform diseases and disease studies and and, and assessed um, kind of the spatial scale and, and scope and consistent methodologies. Um, and, and this wasn't anything that was done in, in detail, but we were looking and, uh, you know, as we have the ability to communicate long distances, things have changed. And now we can um, communicate, we can standardize this. If you standardize collection protocols that at least answer similar questions, what it means is the results and the recommendations that come from those results are much more reliable. Our goal is to address uncertainty and to reduce it. And that is an important component for almost any, any animal um, in any um, situation. If, there, if there's some kind of standardization and at least consensus among the individuals studying the animals um, on how to collect the data, then when in the, in the, it happens to work out and it's better overall. Secondly, um, ease testing and combining that information with understandings of, of 
how habitat influences population habitat. I'm I'm hesitant to say habitat quality, Um, how available habitat influences population um, um, persistence and also understanding population demography in in the face of uh, various levels of harvest. It's good to have an understanding of how diseases and whatnot influence those things, but it's hard. It's exceptionally hard assessment because of the amount of technology and fine scale data. And within this project, um, from the the other funded components, we have um, advanced transmitters, uh, detailed monitoring, and now we're adding in the disease component. And I think this project, um, as we move forward with it, uh, will be a really good case study in how to combine these data for maximum um, to maximize recommendations to our to our our partners and specifically those who who make the regulations uh, with reduced uncertainty. Um, it, it's it's becoming more and more common now with the advent of GSM transmitters and uh, satellite transmitters. But back in my uh, day with my PhD, which is just 10 years ago, we didn't have that. Um, So it's kind of a a first step into understanding how these things work and don't work in the studies. Um, And and for for wild turkeys and wild turkey enthusiasts, um, as, as, as diseases become more prevalent, on the landscape, and I, I'm not the person to talk about what causes those things to become more prevalent. But we have it's documented that um, diseases among all animals are becoming more and more common. And now there's the, the you know the thing with epizootics and COVIDs and and all these things. Um, uh, these kinds of assessments, if done early, uh, are timed correctly before there is a problem. Uh, um, occur um, can really help fast track uh, making a, a better uh, recommendations. And I think what I like the most about this project beyond the number of cra- uh, collaborators, partners, and the student free and the nature of it is there's really no support or little support for disease having population level impacts to Rio Grande wild turkeys. Now, there is some literature that LP. And those things are are really bad, but I, proactive. I think this is a case of proactive wildlife management, which we we've been reactive for a while, and we're doing more and more of these things. And I think what one thing this will benefit other subspecies and wild turkeys in uh, in the United States is um, getting ahead of it for the subspecies, and then moving forward with with the others. Okay, so is the goal of the standardization within the study just to help better inform like future research and future management practices? Yes, um, it, 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 if we standardize these, the, how to collect these disease data and perform them, and our our, our scientists and collaborators are are happy with uh, the how we do it, and you know the whole peer review process. What we've learned from doing this for other species is not only makes these studies and the results more reliable, but it makes future studies and the information one directly comparable in the temporal time frame, but it also makes it um, you're building upon other data sets where you can that we rejected or failed to reject this hypothesis, but we're adding data in 
does it still hold up? And that's the whole crux of the scientific method. And our jobs as the scientists within this partnership is to basically reject as much stuff so we can get for better answers. And if we if we do these things now, um, what it will allow in the future for um Mild turkey researchers and persons interested in, in maintaining populations is have more confidence in the data and their information they're receiving from their scientists. Okay. And what would you say maybe are your expectations for the future management and like conservation of Rios and other wild turkeys based on the outcome of this project, especially since you are doing the research across borders? So, yeah, maybe just. Oh, that that that's a difficult question to ask. I was uh, on a phone call or a Zoom call with the Texas chapter of National Mob Turkey Federation, and they asked me similar, like, "Well, what do we do with with this information, and what, what what's going to come out of it?" And there is, I don't know, because in this situation, uh, we do have published information showing the impacts of LPDV, West Nile, and other upland game birds, and these other components like the, the macro parasites and bacteria having these influencers. But with turkeys, the the, the positive results for LPDV and others are, are come from different subsets of data from different areas, and we really haven't given it the overview, uh, the whole, the 10,000-foot view, so to speak. Um, if... I, 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 I'm not trying to cop out here, but what I expect to find um, from the, I expect to learn that coordinating uh, eight universities and 20 partners, difficult, but we, we've been successful at that. I expect it to be a success based on the individuals we are collaborating with and the success we've had with other species. And, um, and beyond that, I, 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 based on the literature, I expect uh, to see um, infection rates with LPDV to be consistent almost across all study areas. Um, I, I don't know the actual numbers, like how many, what percent of each sex has this and whatnot, but it's becoming pretty prevalent across studies to report LPDV, uh, either in some way of we we know the magnitude or this turkey was harvested and had turkey box. Um, I, so I expect to see that and um, among the other uh, um, diseases whatnot we're testing for, I expect to see at least with West Nile, even influenza, even malaria, those three um, low infection rates and um, low valence. Uh, but it would, I think it suspected we will detect positive cases or antibodies that to suggest that they had it in some some in the past. And with the the, the health uh, the complete blood counts and uh, the CM, or the the complete blood counts and the the blood panel data. I, I expect to see um, similar results across the range in terms of um, basically a positive check mark for health and from the, those data. As for what it's worth, nature is cruel, and if you're if those tests come back, which are kind of overall of general health, say hey they're not healthy in some way, that would suggest very bad things across its range. So I don't expect to see that given overall, yes, we are seeing some declines in Rio Grande wild turkey distribution, um, but not at the rate where it's within the next 50 or 100 years. Um, so I don't expect just to have a, a suite of positive results for all tests across the entire range. I, I think LPDV will be the one that we see the most. Everything else will be Yes, they get sick. 
but they also recover. Yeah. And I think I read in your proposal, the project ends in 2026. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So do you yes, expect you'll see results sooner than that? Or you think towards the end, just like, what's your expectation well, on that? So we, um, so we started coordinating some of the, uh, the sample collection and developing protocols and where to ship them to and whatnot. And because of the nature of the funded proposal um, and the other, partners and other funded grants from those partners that tie into this uh, will be um, at least processing samples on a yearly basis. And uh, part of the reporting process is um, it, within the, the, the confines of learning how long it takes to get these results back and those things, at least to have a, an update on the result on a yearly basis. Now, will it be published? No, we'll wait till the end of the study to formally publish it in a peer-reviewed journal, but we will have information for NWTF and, and our stakeholders um, in their reports and almost updated on a, an annual basis across those studies. So um, the, is the project set to start in the fall or is it just the trapping that's starting this fall? So the project officially starts September 1 because okay. of the university system. Most of the projects are ongoing, um, and we've already collected a lot of samples for these things. Um, this project, given it starts formally September 1, uh, we, we are, we're working to have the protocols in place on how to collect the data in the field, where to ship it to, to process it for disease testing and whatnot. And the field work where we collect data in a standardized way will start this fall. Even though we have data from other partners on this project, where this is like, all right, now we have to do it because we put it in writing other than we, we wanted to. But, you know, so this fall is when we'll really start capturing consistent with those protocols. But I'm, I'm fairly confident where the data we're collecting now is within expectation of what we will. So what will the data collection look like? once you guys start in the fall. So like when you're actually out there in the field, what exactly okay. we'd be doing? Okay, so to, to collect the data for, for this project involves uh, blood and tissue collection from five specimens in the field. So um, um, NWTF members and, and whatnot are, are, are very educated on how to capture wild turkeys with rocket nets or, or drop nets. And we'll do the standard uh, one or two of those. And we're going to focus collection for this project in the fall and winter when it's not hot and the birds aren't as susceptible to myopathy. So we'll uh, rocket net birds and then uh, we'll ban them, you know, put transmitters on the ones for the other studies. Specific for, for this project, when we have a bird in hand, what we'll do is we'll pull five breast feathers uh, contour feathers and put them in a unique coin envelope for genetic testing. We'll pull the eighth secondary from each wing. So it goes very secondary. So these are flight feathers, but not the main ones. They help steer. And you know, we pull both on both sides to keep them balanced. Um, and uh, that will be used as a backup for genetic testing, as well as uh, stored in museums for any other additional test. So it's it, it, DNA and feathers is at the quill. And so it's hard to to get out of some feathers. So we'll pull five breast feathers and two secondaries for, for that genetic testing. And to test for um, a combination of those diseases and other tests, we'll pull about five milliliters of blood from their leg vein using a butterfly needle, 
standard like in, in a hospital. And and five milliliters is basically one half of a syringe of you know, ten milliliter for humans. Um, it's in context of the the mass of the bird. It's not dangerous at all, and that blood will be distributed among our research team for various tests uh, for diseases and other um, other um, the bacterial diseases as well as the viral diseases. And then we'll take cloaca and clonal swabs. So cloaca is um, the digestive and reproductive opening for wild turkey swab that. The clonal is down, down the throat, so we'll swab those. And those swabs will be used for a few of the other tests um, that are um, that don't produce well from blood. And that's that that will be the data for this from from each bird. We'll have the bird ID, we'll have all the biological data like a male, female, hatch year after hatch year are let me use the right terms. Jake, Jenny, uh, Tom, you know, uh, those things are our pulse. Um, pulse, we, we won't draw blood from because it's too dangerous, but we'll have those IDs, location, date, time. Uh, for some of these animals, we'll have GSM, the telemetry data, and then we'll have um, feather, blood, and swab uh, that will be specific to this project that will coordinate collection from all of our partners and then distribute to uh, individuals on our proposal to do the test. Interesting. Yeah. So the last question that I have is, um, you might not have an answer for this, but is there something completely new that you hope to learn from this research? There's lots of things I want to learn new. Um, it. I don't think this particular project is suited for grand uh, new um, thoughts and science and whatnot. I think what I'm interested most in is being able to compare these results across their distribution. That's uncommon and that excites me. So having these different study areas with these researchers that uh, basically trained me, so I trust them, <laughs> but, um, and they're better than this stuff than I am. Uh, do it uh, puts faith in the collection process and ultimately on my end and ultimately in the results. And I, I think what I'm really interested in learning is do distribution level assessments like this, they cost more um, than what we're learning with NWTF, but not really if we leverage our money, more effort, but do they result in better data? And I think what we're going to learn is yes, because I've seen it before with other assessments, but I'm really excited about that component, being able to make these inferences and hopefully learn about the species at such large spatial scales that were really not um, typical until the past 10 years. So I think that's what I'm excited most to learn about this. And I had a, just another quick question I had just thought of. I'm not sure if you explained what the distribution level assessment means, but if you could just explain that. Yeah, so so wild turkeys in the United States, there's five subspecies, and the, the subspecies of interest um, for our study is Rio Grande wild turkey. And the, the, the distribution level for any animal is the highest spatial scale of where it occurs. And wild turkey, if it's distribution level for wild turkey, it's the entire United States, parts of Mexico, parts of Canada. For the subspecies Rio Grande wild turkey, um, you're the, the kind of the distribution of where that subspecies in within the distribution of wild turkeys, um, uh, Central Texas, Oklahoma, 
Kansas and parts of Nebraska and a few other areas interspersed into Mexico and whatnot. But basically, the distribution level means that we have study areas in South Texas, Central Texas, the Rolling Plains of Texas, um, Oklahoma in numerous uh, counties um, in the Panhandle and on the southwest corner, Kansas um, for Dave Hocus and, and um, Dan Sullen's projects, and then in Nebraska. So we'll have data that represents Rio Grande wild turkeys in at least greater than 95% of where they occur. And those projects are hard to do. And this is why it's exciting to me is because it will have a better picture and better answers for our constituents um, because we're confident that the spatial scale we're collecting represents most birds in that subspecies. Is that what you're kind of looking for for that one? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I just, okay. I I kind of like looked it up beforehand and I had a good idea of what that meant, but it was great for you to explain No, the, thank you for bringing it up. I was doing science talk. Sorry about that. No, yeah. Um, well, that's all the questions that I have like prepare but if there's anything else that you want to add you think is valuable you can but if not i think that's good that's great for me uh uh, um, i appreciate you you guys uh doing this interview and writing the, the article and whatnot and sounds good well thank you so much Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you.